Hey everybody, thanks for joining me. Sorry I was late. I was having some problems with the app, but it's working now. Uh, thank you for joining me. I don't have a wrench of a rant this week because uh, I've been just in book mode trying to finish my book and I haven't had much time to pay attention to the news. Um, one thing I wanted to play for you is a little bit from this. This is a clip of New York Times reporter Julian Barnes, who was interviewed uh, on the New York Times podcast, The Daily, and he was talking about his story, which is basically the official U.S. cover story for the Nord Stream bombing, uh, after Seymour Hersh reported over a month ago that the U.S. was responsible. The U.S. media was pretty quiet about this, but finally, recently, the Times came out with this story based entirely on, on, on anonymous U.S. officials. Uh, claiming that really the culprit for Nord Stream was a pro-Ukrainian group, although they provided no detail for that. And I've written about this, and um, but funnily enough, recently Julian Barnes of the Times went on the Dare Times podcast to talk about his reporting and how he supposedly came up with this story. And it's a very revealing window into how journalism works, and also into how shoddy the official cover story is for the Nord Stream bombing. So this is a bit of Julian Barnes talking about his so-called reporting process. So Julian, who exactly was responsible for this attack and how did you and our colleagues go about figuring that out? Well, I think what happened was for much of the investigation, we weren't asking exactly the right questions. Hmm. And what were the right questions? Well, we had logically been focused on countries, mm -hmm. all those states that we just went through. Did Russia do it? Did the Ukraine state do it? And that was just hitting dead end after dead end. We weren't finding officials who were telling us that there was credible evidence pointing at a government. So my colleagues, Adam Entis, Adam Goldman, and I started asking a different question. Could this have been done by non-state actors. Mm. Could this have been done by a group of individuals who were not working for a government? Kind of like freelance saboteurs. So where did you take this new question? Well, we started asking who might these saboteurs be, or if we couldn't answer that, who might they be aligned with, right? Could they be mm -hmm. pro-Russian saboteurs? Could they be other saboteurs? All right, that's enough. Uh, you, you get the picture. The point is, this New York Times reporter is trying to say that as soon as him and his colleagues started asking the right questions about who bombed Nord Stream, all of a sudden they got the answer. And it was just a result of their intrepid journalism that they th had the uh, wisdom to start asking, well, Maybe this couldn't have been a government. Maybe this could have been somebody else that all of a sudden that led them to the answer. And of course, the answer was provided to them entirely by U.S. officials who gave them no evidence whatsoever. What happened in reality was Seymour Hersh came out with a story pointing out that the U.S., you know, reporting that the U.S. did it. He had a detailed account of how it happened. And so accordingly, the U.S. needed a cover story. And this is what they came up with. And they gave it to the Times. And now this Times journalist, um, either because he's delusional enough or he's just straight up lying now claims that all this resulted from him and his colleagues asking the right questions that they weren't asking before. But of course, and even then the, the answers are based entirely on what U S officials gave him with, with no evidence that this was some pro Ukrainian group. So I just thought that was such a hilarious window into how journalism 
works these days. That basically, uh, U.S. officials tell you something, so that's the answer, and then you convince yourself that it's because you asked the right questions that weren't being asked before. I just thought that was very funny. And otherwise, you know, the main uh, Ukraine news, or, or you know, I, I shouldn't say the main Ukraine news, but uh, the president of, of China, uh, Xi Jinping, is going is going to Moscow this week, uh, and uh, to uh, push a peace plan. And I somehow doubt that they'd be going to all this effort unless there was something to this, that they have, you know, something in the works here. So maybe China will actually play a consequential role in this war. And uh, it's just telling to me that the U.S. is immediately trying to dismiss China's efforts. And already the White House has said that we oppose any ceasefire in Ukraine, which to me is very telling because um, their goal is not peace in Ukraine, it's using Ukraine for a proxy war, is uh, I think their hostility to a ceasefire exemplifies. So that's all I got rant-wise, and let's take some calls. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? Not bad. How are you? Good. Um, I had I wanted to get your opinion on the ICC charges against Putin. <sighs> Uh, I think it's funny that they unveiled it on the 20th anniversary of the Iraq war. I mean, could there be better timing than to, uh, you know, indict a leader for an invasion of a country than doing that on the anniversary of the most criminal invasion of this century, which was the Iraq war and the most destructive, which of course no one will ever face charges for. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's totally political, obviously, uh, you know, the allegation about the kidnapping of children I find interesting because the only sources I've seen for that allegation come from that I've seen come from U.S. government-funded sources or U.S. government-allied sources. So I'm curious what the actual evidence is. And I, um, I don't know. I, I suspect a lot of what's going on there is that, uh, is that orphans are being adopted. Uh, I, just, I doubt that Russia would be in the business of kidnapping children. But, but again, I haven't looked at that too in depth, so I don't want to rule anything out. But I, so I, I, yeah. I looked at it a little bit. And the thing that is a little confusing to me is the way that the American media frames Ukrainians who are fighting on the side of the DPR and LPR or like separatists as, you know, Russian backed separatists. But these children, they do specifically <laughs> say, oh, sorry, dog, are all in the region where. Uh-huh you know, that has separated where you would think like probably their parents would have been on that side of the conflict in these areas that have voted to separate from the Ukrainian government. It seems way more problematic that they would leave them there to me on some level. I mean, maybe not for every kid, but A, it seems like Russia was trying to evacuate people from a war zone, which we kind of know they did because they allowed for citizenship of people who were living in those regions so they could leave. And like Russia has most, like the largest number of the, of the people who have actually fled overall. I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting that when we want to frame Ukrainians as, you know, being against Russia, the Russian back separatist term is pulled out. But if these are the children of those same people, why? Like, why is yeah. it? Yeah. It's very bizarre. 
It is bizarre, but everything you're saying makes sense to me. I just haven't looked into it, so I, I, I can't say definitively. But, but I, I, I think you're onto something. I just it sounds to me like it's orphans. And I, and by the way, also, you know, there are millions of people between Ukraine and Russia with family ties. Yeah. So this also could just be like uniting people with their families. Um, the idea that you just kidnap all these kids, take away from their families. I mean, that's just. That seems bonkers to me, but uh, it's you know something I'll look more into when I have the time. Awesome. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Okay, David, or or Dawid, sorry. Um, hi, Aaron. Uh, hi there. A big fan. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I also wanted to cover the, to ask about the ICC. <clears throat> I live in The Hague, uh, although I'm from Poland. Uh, by the way, the president, the, the face of of this warrant, is also Polish judge Piotr Wmański, uh, which is funny. Uh, by the way, I also think that if the US, the deal comes from the USA, will not get, not get us to World War Three. I think Poland will. Have you heard of uh, what Polish ambassador to France has said today on in Polish in French television? Uh, I did was, not. No, I didn't. No, uh, he said. If Ukraine fails to defend its independence, we will have no choice. We will be forced to enter the conflict. I'm sorry, this is the president of Poland who said this? No, no, this is Polish ambassador to France. Polish ambassador to France, wow. And, and he wow. said it today on, on French television. Uh, wow. Yeah, and it's highly quoted. So, yeah. I mean, um, if we come back to this uh, abduction of children from the Ukraine... I realize that this topic hasn't been really covered by the independent media, by this space, you know, by all the podcasts and YouTube channels. However, it has, it has been present in Polish media for a long time, almost since the beginning of this, you know, uh, conflict last year. Mm-hmm. And many of my friends that I talk to and quarrel a lot, uh, as I'm a dissident voice usually, uh, they always, you know, they, when they have no arguments, they always say, but they steal the children. So I'm kind of happy that this will be covered right now. Uh, maybe debunked. I don't know. I'm not sure, of course, what is the truth. Uh, however, yeah, it's it's really interesting, and uh, I'm kind of worried uh, what is going what is going on. I was going to be uh, because yeah, po- Poland. You know, one one last thing. I will end my rant with this: is that Poland is different than other countries in Europe when it comes to. They they stand on peace versus justice. There has been a poll conducted by the European Council of Foreign Relations uh, last year, and clearly Poland is um, more into justice than than peace. You know, all the co- other countries prefer peace, but we in Poland prefer justice over peace. So uh, this maybe is an explanation for why also we behave like that. Huh? Huh? Well, that's really interesting, and. Um... I don't know much about Poland, but I just I do happen to observe that of all the countries, it's definitely got such a hawkish take on all this. And, um, you know, there have been more deployments of U.S. troops recently to the countries neighboring Ukraine. And I've I've had to wonder if this is, you know, a part of an effort to get directly involved, even though I that sounds crazy. It's um, I know there are people I know there are people inside the U.S. government who are willing to risk that. You know, willing to do it. So, at this point, you can't rule anything out, especially as things are not going the way uh, Western audiences have been told for Ukraine. I mean, they're 
there finally there have been some Western media accounts recently, like in the Washington Post, that paint a really dire picture for the Ukrainian forces. Understandably, because they're going up against a much bigger country, and this war is over a year old. So eventually, it was going to take, it was it was going to grind people down. Uh, and that's how, and when that happens, the more hawkish elements of the NATO coalition are going to want to intervene directly. And now you know there is no no opportunity for the peace, right? Because can you negotiate with a war criminal? Uh, yeah, especially who's who's indicted by the ICC. Yeah, yeah, more difficult. Yeah, it's true. it's true. So it's sealed. I would say it's sealed. The situation now is sealed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thanks. Thank you for the bleak call. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Gator. Hey, Aaron. How's it going? Hi there. Um, good. Great. Gray zone um, session on Friday. I really appreciate your coverage. And, uh, you know, it's it's rare that I'm finding any political coverage that makes me laugh. And I, I appreciate uh, the slightly sort of sardonic and satirical uh, edge you guys have um, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a feel for, for piss take of, of what deserves to be mocked fully. Um, I mean, on this on this stuff that you're um, flagging here with the ceasefire and also um, the ICC um, charges. I mean, essentially, what what journalists are, are telling their audiences, particularly with this uh, New York Times output, is that they're more capable than the full intel capability of the G1 nation and the combined intel capability of the US hegemony. You know, that that um, um, somehow all of that capability is incapable of formulating these questions for themselves, which clearly doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's how ridiculous these this output from the New York Times is. And it makes, I mean, in terms of the continuation of the war, to me, it just seems now that, I mean, I've already said this a few times, but I'm getting more cemented in this. It makes no sense for Russia, who claims to be under existential threat, to just back off under any under these circumstances and then start negotiating. To me, it makes much more sense for them to sort of fully shape the conflict to maximise their yield from negotiations. Basically, to if, you, if you've got your hand around somebody's throat, you might as well start crushing it until you know that they have no choice but to, to, to give in to your demands. And because Russia has long past the point of being semi-reasonable. Um, and I think you flagged with Max that the Ukraine could have had essentially what it now claims it wants. It could have had that right at the beginning because they were the demands of Russia. Essentially, we're not going to touch you unless as long as you agree to be neutral and we'll even further, we'll, we'll withdraw further back away from, you know, supporting the DPR, LPR. And then just in terms of China's role here, the way I kind of see this is that China can simply express its desire for peace and theatrically act as a peace agent in order to preserve a facade, while at the same time it continues to expose the West as ongoing warmongers who oppose this peace um, rhetoric, right? All the while, whilst that theatre is playing out, Russia just continues to shape the conflict as it, as it wants by bombing what it wants and, and prosecuting a war until Ukraine collapses in some way. And finally, one thing I wonder, which is just blatantly obvious to me, is that why are the only accusations in the ICC warrant about child relocation 
and not about any other war crime that the West has flagged. For example, Butcher, and and that's that's you know that's my bit for the week. Okay. Thanks, Gator, for the call. All the best, mate. Take it easy. You too, Nestor. Hey, Aaron. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right. Uh, so I guess my take is um, uh, with uh, um, she meaning Putin is that you know they want they I I'm guessing they're going to offer a very very sweet peace deal, and part of that would be to further not only just like uh, previous callers have said prove that the United States is a uh, warmongering uh, belligerent state but also to prove to whomever within their government still needs some sort of uh, 100% like evidence that that the United States is indeed hell bent on this suicidal bomber path to World War Three, and that now they're going to implement once that is verified once you know where you like we've seen that United States is already against any ceasefire um, it's going to verify to them that they now need to implement a much more different strategy than what they've been implementing so far and it's going to really uh, turn up the heat on the United States in the way to you know kind of disarm it before it gets a chance to actually go on a rampage and start a World War III. So I'm 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 not hundred percent sure what kind of strategy Russia and China will implement, but they're going to now verify that there is no other way than to humiliate and defeat the United States if they're going to preserve humankind for the future generations. So that's my take on what's going to happen. Uh, that's my best guess. Um, so we'll we'll see. And uh, uh, all I got to say is thank God for Russia and China. Okay, Nestor, thanks for the call. Good to hear from you. Uh, Brian. Hey, Aaron, good to talk to you. Thanks for playing the New York Times clip again. That- it's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, and their yes. ingenious uh, development of the questions they were asking. Yes. But it's yes. a great uh, mental exercise to think about well, what type of intelligence were these officials reviewing where they found out that we know the group was pro-Ukrainian. We don't know who they were. We do know that they didn't know Zelensky <laughs> and on and on. Yeah. And we know, by the way, they also said we know they're not U.S. or British, which <laughs> which says that's a tell to me that they are U.S. and British. That to me is a tell because it's like so of all the countries in the world, you're you, you for sure know that they're not two uh, U.S. and British like but they so what they, so, but they might be, I don't know, Indian and Israeli. But, you know, so it's like that to me says they are U.S. and British for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a shame we didn't have the AM live podcast in two thousand and eight when the New York uh, painting us into the Iraq War uh, in similar yeah. fashion. Yeah. No. Did doubt. you see the um, reconstruction of Mariupol that Putin was touring uh, this weekend? I did not. No. 
No. Yeah, there's some shots of some large uh, apartment blocks that he he was touring, and um, they're they're really moving on the. Um, hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, just wanted to, to thank you for. Uh... Uh, no problem at all. Uh, thank you for the call. Thank you, uh, Will. Hey, uh, I'd like to. Can, wait, can you hear me? Um... Yes. All right. Sorry, because I, I have my headphones and I wasn't. Uh, congratulations on on winning the award for your um, uh, reporting on the on the OPCW issue. Um, and as well as I was, thank you, thank you. Um, I was wondering what you were, what you think about like um the the future of U.S. China relations, especially within the past week. We see like the AUKUS deal going through, and you know um. I don't know if you know what's going on in Australia with that, but it's a big deal. Like, um, they're pushing this in, um, you know, the major newspapers just a few weeks ago, um, in the front page of both the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age, which is like our Sydney, uh, which is like our New York Times, Washington Post. Um, uh, they're like pushing like there's, you know, China's about to invade, and that was written by um, two of the contributors to that to those articles were. Um, uh, employees of the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, which is like um, registered under the uh, ter- uh, the Commonwealth, the Attorney General's Office of the Commonwealth, as a, a foreign agent for the United States, and um, you know they're p- pushing big for this war on China, at least over here in Australia. And I was wondering, like, what do you think? Um, how how the China, how the US is going to combat China? Because we saw like um, the warfare in Syria by backing terrorist groups like Al Qaeda. And we saw that, um, you know, in Xinjiang, they're, they're backing these separatist groups. You know, they funded um, the separatist groups like the World Uyghur Congress. And I was wondering um, how you see that. Um, like, what do you think would happen? And, you know, do you think there's like a Russia-like situation where like they're going to get pushed into a, you know, a war where Taiwan's being used? Or do you think there's like going to be a direct conflict of some sort? Well, I don't know. Um because I don't follow that issue as closely as I do Ukraine, and I, I don't want to make a prediction, but I, I do know that this deal looks terrible for Australia. It is. And they're, they're... You're going to put yourself in the, in the, in the crossfire of, of any potential U.S.-China war. Um, yes, and, and that's is... the goal. Yeah, in, in that yeah. piece I was talking about in uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, they were pushing for like, mandatory service. I'm I'm 18-year-old. That's, that's prime military age. Not good for me yeah. or anyone yeah. I know. <laughs> And for what? Um, like, for what? Like, like to serve. Um, that's that's US our largest Germany. trading partner, China. It is, um, you yeah. know, and the prime minister who, who um started relationship with China, Gough Whitlam. He was asked in a coup by the CIA. I would recommend reading the book, um, A Secret Country by John Pilger. It's um, and he and you know they called it like a pinifesta coup. Um, you know that was like secret. Um, yeah, yeah. CIA, well, I'm gonna. I'm going to mute you because your your background noise is too, is is too loud. But um, no, it, it's totally okay. But I appreciate the question. And what I also know on the issue of Australia is Paul Keating, uh, the former uh, prime minister of Australia, he called this submarine deal the worst deal in history. So obviously, there are people inside Australia and Australian Australian politics who are not happy about this. And I think it's it looks to me like a like a really big mistake. But hey, um, what do I know? Uh, but thank you for the call, Will. Appreciate it. Uh, Loki.
And Loki, if you're there, we can't hear you. Can you hear me now? No, I can't. Yes, go ahead. Okay, cool, cool. Um, yeah, so I was, I was just, you know, thinking maybe, maybe just me being jaded by the news, but um, I, I just feel like more and more like, like a lot of these uh, developments, especially in in war and stuff, feel feel like you know similar history over and over because like like Russia itself is still sometimes framed as if it's you know communist and stuff and and most of the bigger all the bigger communist uh, countries were um were infiltrated by by the banking system already into goulash or kind of mixed economy structures and so they've already like you know they've all been kind of subverted uh, this way and you know the of course the petro people or the other countries are getting off the petrodollar and and such you know although not completely you know it's not the type of band-aid i guess you can just rip off so fast but so the world the world is moving this way but it's not it's not so so clear like if it's moving to something you know better or something or something worse like you said there's you know BRICS there's AUKUS there's like all kinds of new deals that other countries are pulling off to try to preserve preserve their own interests and such and you know I feel a lot in a lot of these wars you know the a lot of the same com- companies are are making money you know no matter who's you know who has the their what do you call it the the foot up on or leg up on the other you know opponent and it's still kind of theater in a way you know it's not theater in the way that it's a fiction like real people are dying but you know it's it's theater in a way where people are being are being kind of used as like false flags over and over again just to give you know more more power to people that already have power and I feel you know we should more focus on on ways people can be more productive and ending ending you know intellectual property rights that basically hold humanity back and kind of yeah just just stopping all these just the of course you know it it is crony capitalism and stuff but it's it's just so entrenched that even if there there is a a form of capitalism that would work you know perfectly and you know if the the hand of the market was real and it wasn't just the the hand of fixing and monopolizing and uh, the hand of the fucking banking cartels that would be cool too but like I don't know. I feel just people need to, if they can, you know, focus on where, you know, material, material change can happen in their own lives, you know, for the better. Okay. And, okay. And where would you start, Aaron? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I just try to give people facts that hopefully can inform, you know, decisions about issues that I think matter. That's That's pretty much what I do. Um, but thank you for the call. Uh, Sterling. And that's why you win awards. Hey, Aaron. Um, are you there? Yeah. Okay. 
I watched something this morning, and this is this completely falls in line with everything everybody has just said as far as really how deplorable we are. And I think we'd be perfectly happy to just be an endless war. But I also think that I've hardened myself to a lot of the news that we get at this point. We've been in war for so long, and we've heard just so many different things and lies repeatedly. But I was watching this morning a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps who did three tours in Afghanistan, a 23-year veteran, testify before Congress about the wreckage and what was left after we abandoned um, everybody in Afghanistan. And his point was, like, how do you do that? And he said, what good is it? What does an American promise mean? <laughs> I mean, for me, it was very simple. I'm like, nothing. I mean, look at Minx Accords, look at anything we try to do with people and we just lie. But he said, there's going to be a 73, he said, there's a 73% of all the soldiers that were in Afghanistan we are facing a mental health crisis because they can't wrap their head around the fact that we just abandon the allies that were like willing to fight and die for America in Afghanistan. And he was just stressing how disgusting that really was. And so by the end of it, I was completely in tears because I just, my grandfather was a Lieutenant Colonel in the Marine Corps. Also, he hated this government. He didn't believe in war after it. He said it was all about money. But I highly recommend everybody watch it because this is actually who we are. And I was just really proud of him for calling it out and caring so much about his soldiers and the people still left in Afghanistan. And he said, we're going to be paying for that forever. Um, and it was just really just I just, you know, when we hear about what we're going to do about peace, we don't want peace. And I just really think that's a shame. But I think that's actually where we are. And um, it's just going to, I guess, take the people to really keep yelling about it and apparently there was some of the right is but you just don't know because you know you have a ton of neocons over there but um anyway i wish everybody would check that out his name was lieutenant colonel Mann, and okay, okay. Uh, really interesting so yeah sorry to didn't have time thanks thanks really milan oh okay uh brady Uh, Brady, are you there? I guess not. Okay. Next caller, memory. Memory. So we've had a few callers now who don't appear to be there. Is this my, is this my problem? Is this, is this the issue on my end? I don't know. Um, let's try a few more. Uh, Andrew. Hello there. Can you hear me okay? I know it's yes, noisy but, on my end. Yeah. Um, it is noisy on your end. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, go ahead and try it. If we can hear you, we'll... yeah, I have I have no control over the music, so I'll just try to be loud. Gotcha. Um, yeah. My question is, um, how is it going so far? Working with Matt and the others on the Twitter files. What are your kind of priorities? And then, if I could actually bring up one question, I would ask if I could search through the Twitter files. Go ahead. Yeah. What is it? Um, my friend Stoopy brought it up, and I immediately realized it would be, a, you know, like a top priority for me to ask. What happened to the No More 
hashtag. It's very clear. Yeah. That, that one was kind of the one of the more overtly banned um, yeah. big trends on Twitter. And it has so many implications for, yeah. you know, within the U.S., without the U.S. It's kind of like a big uh, sign of like a neo-pan-Africanism post poking its head. Have, have you all already thought about that or looked into it? Uh, and then yeah. again, yeah, what are your kind of other questions that you want to ask? Um, okay, thanks for the call. Uh, so, so no more for people who don't know it. That w- that was referring to a campaign about the conflict in Ethiopia, right? And there are people who basically were saying that they wanted um, a peace agreement rather than having this war go on. And I think there was a concern that Western media was too biased uh, on that issue and, and, and not covering it properly. So that's what I understand no more to be. And uh, yeah, it, it I have heard that it was suppressed on Twitter. And so I, I think that's a great question to ask. Uh, in terms of my own role, I don't, I'm not involved very much because I'm working on my book right now. So I don't have the time to uh, delve into the Twitter files like I'd, like I'd want to. But your question, I think, is a top priority for me too. I'd like to know what happened with No More. And um, anything else I can find out about Russiagate because that's been my main focus for the last many years. Uh, and I'll leave it at that because I, I just I don't have much to say about it yet. But um, I'm not as involved uh, in the Twitter files as I'd like to be. I just don't have the time, unfortunately. Okay, uh, neoliberal tears. Hello, Aaron. Happy Sunday afternoon. Um, yeah, how's it going? I hope you're well. Thank you. You too. Yeah, um, so uh, one of the things that I th- uh, are giving me kind of a kick is, um, you know, like Gen Z these days, I think they're just like, they're, they, they kick ass in, in, in so many ways. And I noticed um, there was a lot of reporting about how the military isn't able to meet their recruitment recruitment goals. Um, there was a 10% shortfall in like almost every military branch um, with Gen Z in particular. Um, and I, so I think, I don't know, I kind of saw it as like, I, I was going to ask you, what do you think is sort of motivating that kind of thing? I sort of see Russia Gate and the hysteria around that. And, and Iraq and all of our interventions as being a, a, a very good reason for why Gen Z is just not not buying into like the whole um, propaganda stuff. Um, and I posted an article from military.com that talks about um, how they're trying to commu- <laughs> to like work out like a branding strategy. Like, oh, we just how do we appeal to non like a lot of Gen Z is non non patriotic, they call it. So how do we appeal to them with different words? What do we do? Um, so yeah, what do you think about that? Where, where do you think it's coming from? That's a great question. Uh, yeah, maybe it's growing up uh, after the Iraq War and seeing the impact of that, and seeing the impact of that on U.S. soldiers and uh, people being able to think more for themselves and not relying on traditional media, looking for other sources. Um, and I, I guess uh, you know our propaganda system just not working as well on younger people as, as it did older generations, and that's. That's encouraging. Um, but beyond that, I don't have much insight to tell you. It's uh, in general, I just, you know, like it's sort of inevitable that sometimes in history, you know, like younger generations are just, they learn from the past. And maybe militarism is one of those things that they've seen enough of. And it's just, it no longer has the draw that it used to. And, and thankfully. Amen. Um, 
yeah, as a pacifist, it just makes me happy. And I also saw that like AOC and um, Adriano Espilat were having an event sort of like to, <laughs> to help the military recruit, like to, for, for sorts of things. But they tried to hide the, um, the armed services as like, they, at first they, they said, oh, it's just a fair for the DOE. And oh, said, that's really funny. And that's everyone funny. dunked on her. Like nobody, if you're going to, yeah, I mean, I think young people are very much on the side of anti-war. And I, and I think it's a bad look for any politician to try to like, uh, yeah, um, go against that uh, rising tide. But, but thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, let's try memory one more time. And memory whole, if you're there, there you go. I'm here, I'm memory, and I'm whole, yeah. Yes, good. Good to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, good to hear from all of you, too. Thank you. Sorry, I couldn't unmute for some reason. Uh, anyway, yeah, I just wanted to go over some things that have already been discussed today. So, you know, that news about the Polish ambassador that said that Poland is going to attack Russia in case Ukraine falls. And uh, the Polish embassy has already taken his words sort of back and said that it's only going to happen if Ukraine is not going to be able to uh, sort of protect its uh, liberty, I suppose. I don't know which word uh, should be used. But really, I just think that it's just the Polish ambassador sort of playing to the crowd and trying to win some brownie points. Uh, in all honesty, it's all going to end in the next few months with the Ukrainian counteroffensive because, frankly, I think that the U.S. government has already wasted too much money on things that many people really don't know much about. A lot of questions arise about where weapons are going, yeah. uh, a lot of questions about how many people have already died and I think that they are really starting to get worried about the upcoming elections because, you know, a lot of people are going to be looking at people responsible for what's going to happen to happen in Ukraine next. And, you know, I think as any sane uh, person that has any idea about um, the day-to-day news, uh, we understand that Ukraine is just can possibly win in this war and the best situation that we can really expect is some sort of a peace deal uh either of course it's not going to be between ukraine and russia but it's going to be between the western partners and the eastern partners in which i think china is going to play the major role and it's really interesting what's the actual china's peace deal is going to be because I don't think that a reporter or journalist has actually seen it from what from what uh, I read. This piece of all the territories in the south and in the east, with uh, some territories across on the right side of the Dnieper River which are currently under the Ukrainian government rule. Uh, these territories are going to get demilitarized 
and basically Russia is going to get its, you know, sort of uh, safe from the Western Ukraine. And, you know, I think it's all going to happen really fast and really soon in the upcoming months because everyone is sort of getting tired and things are moving really fast. And this whole Ukrainian ordeal needs to end really, really fast. And I find it funny that, you know, the U.S. government is saying that, uh, you know, no peace deal can be made under under the Chinese uh, conditions. But at the same time, the U.S. government is basically the one who's rushing the Ukrainian President Zelensky to discuss uh, the peace deal with uh, China's president. I find it ridiculous. Why would you sort of rush this telephone call if you don't want the peace deal to go through? So I think they really want this peace deal to go through, but they sort of make it look like they're against it. And yeah, and lastly, I'll just quickly mention the ICC arrest warrant, which is just it's such a childish attempt at a face slap, a personal face slap to Putin when uh, we have our own ombudsman, Lyudmila Denisova, basically admitting absolute insane lies about uh, all the crazy war crimes of Russians, which were never actually proved anywhere. And she was fired with a huge scandal. And uh, none of those lies were ever addressed in the Western community. It sort of has been rushed under the rug <laughs> and everyone's making it look like it never happened. But right. it's really, really ridiculous. And I think that after this peace deal, or whatever it's going to be called, you know, sort of happens, uh, BRICS countries, the countries which have formed BRIC, BRICS, yeah, BRICS, they can just uh, pull out of this ICC agreement. And uh, the U.S. has already done it years ago under, under Trump when he said that uh, no ICC official can sort of attack the U.S. democracy and prevent the U.S. soldiers from creating democracy abroad. And they pulled out from the ICC agreement, I think. And then then, then, uh, Biden came to power, he sort of uh, turned that decision back into power. But I think it's going to happen because obviously the countries from the BRICS union, their GDP is, uh, I think they have already, you know, uh, their their total GDP is already greater than the GDP of the Western countries, or it's going to be uh, pretty soon. I just don't think that they will have to abide by the rules of ICC, and it's really not going to work in favor of Britain and the U.S. Uh, but anyway, we can only wait and see what's going to happen. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you as always. Okay, Fred. Hi, Aaron. 
Hi there. Congrats again on your your award. It's it's nice to to see your work is being um, acknowledged. Um, I just had um, a few going through my mind. Um, so with the ICC, um, them they coming out and putting out that statement, doesn't that um, undermine the authority and stuff? Like the, the rest of the world is going to see that, oh, these organizations are all captured by the West, right? Like that's how I feel with um, the 20th anniversary of Iraq and stuff. They didn't put anything against that, but then they come out and put this against uh, everyone <laughs> yeah. is going to question them. Sure. Yeah. Right. And then the second thing I was going to ask you is with after the Nord Stream pipe was blown up, um Germany coming out and putting that statement out. I feel like the West have taken themselves out of negotiation in terms of brokering um brokering a peace deal. So if China is not able to to is not successful with brokering this peace um peace deal, which country do you think will be able to do it? Because Russia is not gonna trust anything they say. Because why if they were able to go back on their word, why can't they do it again in the future? So it's something yeah. I was thinking and see what you have to say about that. Sorry, if if if, if who can go back on their word? So if China is not able to succeed with this um, with this peace stuff going on, yeah. which other country do you think will be able to initiate it? And is Russia going to trust anyone else? Because Germany and France, like most of the Western countries, have taken themselves out. Yeah, they have. Um, so who is left to broker? Um... I mean, that's where China has kept its, you know, friendly ties with Ukraine throughout this conflict. Um, you know, there, I definitely, I personally don't think that Russia would have invaded Ukraine if they didn't have China's tacit approval. Because I just don't see how Russia could have weathered that storm if they didn't have China, uh, if they didn't have the assurance that China wouldn't uh, abandon them. So, um, you know, so you can argue that China is not perhaps, you know, the most neutral broker, but they do have relations with Ukraine. They do have um, economic ties there. And so perhaps Ukraine, if it's in a desperate enough situation, will will take the opportunity to use China as a mediator to get themselves out of a horrible situation. If they do, I mean, I don't know what goes on in the minds of Zelensky and his leadership. I, you know, they've. I think they've been a disaster for their country so far. So it's hard to predict, but um, I certainly think that if anybody's going to mediate an end to this conflict, it's not going to be the U.S. It has to be somebody else. And China is a big enough power to be able to pull that off. Okay. All right. Thanks. Because for me, just I'll just state because for me too, if I, I put myself in the shoes of the West, I wouldn't trust China to broker that deal. So I'm just trying to play yeah. the devil's advocate and see how we can solve this stuff. But hopefully, no, everything fair. Comes... well, you know, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like Lula of Brazil has also offered to mediate, um, and he's someone who's even more neutral on this than China. You know, China is. So um, yeah. Okay. How thanks for Brazil? thanks for yeah thanks for the time thanks. Thank you. Okay. Ian. Hey, Aaron. How's it going? Hi there. So I was just actually kind of piggybacking on what Fred said, but kind of looking at uh, this sort of from like a sales pitch perspective, I'm, I'm, it really seems like, I guess, Western officials don't have the self-awareness to see this. But, you know, essentially at this point in time, 
what they're selling is like conflict in Asia or like in uh, West Asia or in the South China Sea. And if you look to someone like China, what they're selling is an end to conflict in like places like the Middle East. And I mean, there's a lot of incentives in the world that I frankly don't quite understand, but I imagine to many people, they're going to look at say like, yeah, the future I want is not the one where there's like conflict. It's the one where there's mediation and basically stable relations between different peoples. Um, and I, I just don't understand how, like, how they don't really see how, how bad the product they're selling actually looks. But I guess my question to you, um, and I, I did miss a little bit of the, the beginning of the stream, so you might have discussed this, but so I've heard that as kind of a repercussion of the, I guess, the initial Iranian-Saudi rapprochement through China that there's been a cease in the fighting in Yemen and that war may be coming to an end. Um, what do you, what do you know about that? Do you have any thoughts? Uh, thoughts specifically on, on what? Um, if the, the war in Yemen will be over or is over. Well, I know there's been a lull for a long time. Uh, you know, it's because there was a UN brokered effort. And yeah, if Iran is agreeing to stop supplying the Houthis, that's a pretty significant development. And uh, that to me says, yes, that there will be peace because I don't think Iran would do that if the Saudi war was going to go on unimpeded. So that says to me that they've gotten some kind of guarantees with China acting as the mediator that, that the war will be over. And uh, that's a huge deal. It's a really, really big deal um, if it actually goes through. Um, but um, And it makes sense to me that it would because for Saudi Arabia, this war has been a disaster. Like they've, you know, they've just, they've killed a lot of people w without getting anything really militarily from what I understand because they, cause they've just been bombing. It, they didn't even send in their own ground force. So it's just, for them, the war was unwinnable. And so this gives them a way out. So, yeah, I mean, like if I'm betting, if I'm predicting, I do think that, you know, that this this Chinese broker deal will have a big influence on Yemen in ending the war. And that's huge. That's huge. That, that's a big achievement. Definitely. Right on. Yeah. I mean, props to them. For real. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, it's better than the U.S., which is the policy there is, is just to fuel the war. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, thank, you, thank you for the call. And uh, if we have uh, no more calls, then we will wrap it up. Um, I'll give anybody else a final chance to jump in, but if not, uh, we will call quits. And um, Oh, we got one. Okay, Zach, go ahead. Hey, Aaron. Uh, hey there. Hey there. Hey, uh, I haven't been listening the whole time, but I just saw the, your call, so I'll just ask, you know, it's hard to, maybe more of a, a theoretical question, but it's just hard for me on this, on the Ukraine war issue to just, like, have conversations with folks that are just, like, so bent on, like, Russia's evil, and I just wonder, like, 
this is kind of some of the questions I've been asking over the weeks listening to your show. Just like, you know, how do you how do you handle that? Like, you know, and these are like people that I work with and people I hang out with, and it's just like, I mean, I've, I, I, in part, some of my groups that I hang out with, like, I can't even bring up the war anymore because they just know that I'm like, you know, on the other side of them, and it's just like you know, how do you have these conversations? You know, what, are there things that you can kind of bring up to make folks at least rethink a little bit than just like all the New York Times articles that they're reading, which makes them feel that they're educated on the subject? You know, I'll just, I'll just leave it there. But it's just, it's just, it's just unfortunate, you know? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough because, you know, like, as I've said before, like the conventional narrative just needs like five seconds. You, you know, they say, you know, Russia launched an unprovoked invasion of Ukraine and that's wrong. And so, you know, that's a very concise statement. You know, my side of things has to explain, well, you know, that there's the there's been a proxy war going on for actually eight years, started with a coup in 2014. Then there was the Minsk Accords and there also was NATO expansion. Also, you had uh, U.S. building up missile sites in Poland and Romania, and that's all part of it. So it's, it takes a lot longer to explain. But, I mean, I would just try to mention that, um, you know, uh, there's been a war going on in Ukraine for the last eight years. It didn't start. It didn't start when Russia invaded there's been a war going on for eight years, and there was no effort on the part of the U.S. and Ukraine to end that war. They wanted to continue. And so Russia's invasion came after many years of failed efforts to end that war and a refusal to implement the Minsk Accords. It's, you know, it's, it takes longer to explain, but, uh, yeah. you know. That's the saddest part. To... That's the saddest part is that they just, you know, say that one thing, and it's just like. I know. And you're just like, okay, so the conversation's over, and you're right, and I'm wrong now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, that's unfortunately <laughs> the pitfall of being aware of the facts is you can't just, uh, you know, uh, accept these very pithy, concise, but false narratives uh, that we get from mainstream propaganda. That's the gift and the curse of being, in, uh, you know, enlightened and informed, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, um, and one more thing, and I'll let, I'll let you get to the next one, is, you know, uh, just media I, I, the more i you know talk to my friends about this the more and the, the more i just think about how like i want more information than just western media because like you know the american exceptionalism is just so facetious and so uh, insidious insidious sure. and it's just like you know where is information from how other people actually think about what the america what america is doing in these other countries and like you know some just some other perspectives because clearly we are just not getting it from our, our side other than tucker <laughs> other than tucker carlson but like other media sources you know foreign media that can give us a better perspective on maybe american exceptionalism oh foreign media um i mean there's plenty of, of good of good sites there's a lot of channels on youtube um you know there's they're just they're just kept off the u.s airwaves but uh I, uh, you know, for example, in the Middle East, there's a good site called The Cradle, thecradle.co, and just tries to present Middle East news from a non-U.S. centric perspective, and um, that's a good counterweight to that. And um, but yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge because we're surrounded by propaganda, and even dissenters in the U.S. oftentimes get duped by propaganda. So it's a challenge. Thanks, man. Um, but thank you, Zach. Uh, okay, Peter. Hey, Aaron, how are you? Hi there. Yeah, uh, since you're talking about Chinese, so I'm Chinese, so I want to call in 
and I cannot believe nobody called in. It's only what fifty-five minutes. The uh, I think uh, I think I thought it was the Ukrainians. I mean, the President Zelensky, who was the one demanding she intervene on behalf of Ukraine, so that Putin will agree to stop uh, to have a ceasefire. I think uh, the, uh, his wife, First Lady of Ukraine, uh, personally handed a letter to the Chinese representative during the WEF. Uh, asking she to intervene. So, whether the West uh, consider China a neutral party or not is irrelevant. When the when the kid who are being beaten up by the big Russian bear are asking Chinese to intervene, so that speaks volumes itself. And uh, so that's first thing I want to say. The uh, The the second thing I want to say is that I actually do not think、uh, Xi Jinping is going to be successful because I think Putin has repeatedly said it's his belief the final settlement、uh, in the final settlement U.S. must be a party, right? Of the whole thing, right? He has said that, and he actually is offered to meet with 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 Biden to address the Ukraine issue before he started the war. Right, and so, so I think she will be facing a,、uh, uh, at least you know he is offering a, a possibility of visiting Kiev after the Moscow visit, which I think he already、uh, is going beyond his、uh, obligation to get involved, because、uh, I cannot imagine the West will agree to have Chinese People's Liberation Army to be stationed in Europe to maintain、right. peace. That's、sure. literally a slap on the white face because、uh, Europeans are the one who has the second, first, and now the third world war. So you literally will need the Asian army to be stationed in in, in Europe in, in Europe to maintain peace. So I think、uh, she may not be successful because、uh, Putin eventually will demand Biden be on the negotiation table. Well, that those are all fair points. Very fair points.、Um, Thank you, Peter, for the call. Thank you. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for me.、Uh, thank you, every, th- thanks for tuning in, spending some time with me, and、uh, I'll be back next time. Have a great rest of your weekend. Bye, everybody.